Buenas and half a day to our listeners on Guam and in the CNMI. It's now time for Total Health right here on Joy FM Radio, where your questions get answered by health professionals. If you have any health-related questions, we would love to hear from you. Call your questions and comments in at 472-1111 or text or WhatsApp 686-9999. If you're in the CNMI, please call 323-1113. Welcome, everybody, to Total Health. Hi, Hafiday. My name is Rose Trina, and I am in the studio today with Bethany Helm. Hafiday. Hi, Hafiday. Thank you for coming back. You're welcome. Nice to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you back. Um, You know, last week we were doing mental health, and then last week's topic was PTSD. Mm -hmm. And then we had um, an anonymous uh, guest, and I think it was a really, really good show. I really enjoyed it. Um, and then today's going to be kind of like a continuation, right? Yes, um, a continuation of sorts. It will still be the topic of mental health, but we're going to kind of diverge into a subcategory of mm-hmm. abuse today. Mm-hmm. Um, is it okay? Could you give us a short self-introduction? Sure. Uh, my name is Bethany Helm. I'm one of the providers at the Guam SDA Clinic. Um, specifically working in urgent care and also um, mental health. Thank you for coming today. You're welcome. So as I shared um, a few minutes ago, yes, last week we did do a lot of discussion on PTSD and we were really fortunate to have a guest who was willing to share his journey um, of healing Mm-hmm. Um, through through that drama, through that trauma, <laughs> yeah, and um, how you know he he is in a position now of blessing because he has been able to vocalize um, what he has gone through, and that has played such a huge role in his healing. I'm kind of breaking down that shame and being able to discuss it. Um, mm-hmm. Those were crucial. Um, pieces to to his healing um, during his treatment. And, um, you know, this week, the topic was approached to me about what if we discussed the topic of abuse? Mm -hmm. And there's many categories of abuse, and they all fall under behavioral health, um, because they affect you in such different ways. Um, but specifically today, I, I think we're just going to focus on physical abuse. Okay. And to kind of make it even more current, <laughs> more specific to our living situations right now, um, maybe even discuss physical abuse amongst the Pacific Islander population mm-hmm. because the the culture of Pacific Islanders is so different from the typical Western um, culture that you see in maybe mainland U.S. And so, so physical abuse or abuse in general can look very different um, according to uh, demographics. We were talking earlier about um, culture and how in some cultures it really isn't seen as, you know, proper to Mm -hmm. speak out or to say something. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and we've had several conversations this week about Mm -hmm. that also, about how there is shame, you know, related to abuse and then how sometimes that shame keeps us from reaching out for help when we need to. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And, 
you know, I'm I'm a firm believer that when a topic continues to be presented to you, <laughs> it's usually because you need to continue dealing with it mm-hmm. until the situation is resolved or healed. Yeah. And over the course of definitely the past several months, but I would even say um you know, the past few years, this topic of abuse continues to present itself to me. Yeah. And um, so it was almost like, you know, a gentle nudge (laughs) in the direction of, hey, what if we actually talked about this, Mm -hmm. not just behind closed doors where we're comfortable, but what if we talked about it in a format, in a capacity where others can participate, even though it's passively. Because you're right, there is a lot of shame associated with abuse in general. But the culture specifically um, here to the Pacific Island culture is you don't talk about those taboo subjects. You just don't. That's true. And if you are going to talk about it, it's typically discussed you know, just amongst the, you know, females with females, males with males. And there's, you know, there's a place for that. That's great. But the fact of the matter is the topic affects both females and males. And it has to be kind of brought to light, not in a shameful way, but just to start opening the conversation. And I believe that's going to be our goal today, not to solve any acute ongoing problem, mm-hmm. you know, because we're not going to solve that in an hour. That's true. But the main goal is going to be what if we simply open the door to have a conversation? What does that look like? And why should we even want to open that door pe- to begin with? Um, you know, as a medical provider, I'm sure you've mm-hmm. seen patients who have actually uh, been victims of violence mm-hmm. and Is there anything that you can share with us, maybe like a story or two about maybe one of your patients without identifying them at all? Mm -hmm. Um, Is there anything you can share with us? Sure. Um, You know, I'm always going to speak very generally Mm -hmm. in regards to any of my encounters or experience or professional um, experiences. We do live on a small island and um, you don't want any, you know, associating factors to even haphazardly be attributed to the wrong person or wrong situation. So, you know, I'll speak very um, generally and maybe even um, share some of my own personal experiences in an effort to kind of deflect the attention from from patients. But, um, you know, me, I'm a little bit more willing to, to speak out and be more open. So if I can draw on my own experiences, I'll do that, too. Um, from a professional perspective, you know, your question is, how do I see abuse mm-hmm. in the medical setting? And we can see that in a variety of ways. Sure, um, you know, we have patients who come to us with telltale signs yeah. of physical abuse. And, you know, we'll talk about that in a a few minutes. Um, We also see patients who come with very subtle signs of abuse. And if your eyes aren't open and your eyes don't know what to look for, you could very easily miss it. Okay. Um, I've had patients who come for a different reason, 
but they're really there to reach out for help. Yeah. And so being able to um, pick up on the signs of that are, are very important. Um, and then, if, you know, of course, any signs of neglect that also falls under a category of, of abuse as well. And I think this might be a, a good time to talk about the different types of abuse okay. out there. Um, the main one that most people think about is physical abuse. And that's yeah. simply because that's what you can see yeah. <laughs> most readily. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so physical abuse might um, look like, you know, the most extreme, maybe injuries, broken bones, bruising. Okay. Um, and those can be results of actions such as um, kicking, shoving, choking. All right. Um, you usually wind up with some sort of um bruising or injury as a result of that. Um, Sometimes individuals are abused by the use of physical restraints. Okay, so... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. You might, and you might see evidence of that, um, like around the wrists Mm -hmm. or even around ankles. Okay. Um, Or even, you know, if if an abuser grabs their victim um, too hard in an effort to show or exert control, you might see those bruising uh, marks around the handprints on the body. Yeah, yeah handprints on the uh, on the arms. You know, most specifically. Um, so those are just a, a you know few examples of the physical abuse. Um, another category of abuse is sexual abuse, and believe it or not, I see this kind of abuse more than I do the actual physical. Okay, because it's very sad, but it's something that individuals will oftentimes seek medical treatment for. Mm -hmm. And so knowing what to look for um, to differentiate between, okay, is this a true medical problem or is this the result of a sexual abuse that occurred? And this is the sequelae of symptoms that is happening from it. So then are you basically saying that patients will go in for one problem, but then you have to go back and then you eventually find out that the underlying cause really was sexual abuse? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then with those patients, do they even know that they need to seek help for that? Because you never know. There are some patients that might, they, they might not know that they can even get help. Yeah. You know, and that makes me wonder with the patients that I do see, who are seeking help, Mm -hmm. there's a hundred times more who, you're right, don't realize that they can, that they can come and seek help. Um, You know, oftentimes patients will come with their abuser and that makes it very difficult to have those conversations with the victim or the patient in Mm -hmm. need, okay? So number one, being able to identify what are some, you know, signs that kind of clue me in that, hey, this might be something more significant than just an everyday symptom. This might be falling under a category of abuse. I need to have trained eyes Mm -hmm. and trained ears to listen to what my patient is really saying to read between the lines. Okay. And I also need to make sure I am 
able to have an independent conversation with my patient. Yeah. Which can be tricky. Okay. It Yeah, it sounds like it can be tricky because mm-hmm. if you're trying to separate the two, like, is there ever a case where, like, the person who doesn't want to, like, the perpetrator mm-hmm. doesn't want to, like, leave and then they become belligerent? Is that, like, automatically, okay, that's a red flag? Yes, that would always be a red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, medical professionals are typically pretty good (laughs) at being able to, at some point, speak with the patient one-on-one, even if it's just for a brief period of time, so that patient has the opportunity to reach out Mm -hmm. and um, say, hey, you know, there's something more going on here, or maybe the provider is even able to ask directly, do I need to ask more questions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's there's usually some sort of a space where we are able to do that. And I'm I don't think I'm going to give too many more specifics because, you know, you don't want perpetrators to become skilled at how to. <laughs> yeah. Now they know how to hide it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. But the, the important point is um, for individuals to know that. Medical professionals are always a safe place to come to if um, they're needing to reach out for any kind of resources, mm-hmm. um, needing to be guided in a certain way, needing attention to any kind of physical um, injuries that may have occurred. Yeah. Your medical professional is always um, there to advocate for you and also maintain the privacy and the confidentiality. Okay. okay. So we've talked about physical abuse, a little bit about sexual abuse. And I, I think I, before we move on from the sexual abuse, I want to be clear that it's not just forced rape, but sexual abuse also occurs within partnerships, within marriages. And um, it's simply an unwanted act of uh, sexual aggression. Okay. Okay. Um, Two other forms of abuse are mental abuse, mental mistreatment, and um, then emotional abuse. And when we come back from the break, we'll dive in a little bit more to things that are happening um, here on Guam and how um, statistics are uh, affecting our our current lifestyle, what it looks like, what physical abuse looks like, what resources are available to us here. Um, And we have a special guest who will be joining us at that time also, and we'll introduce her when when we come back. Come to Jesus. He's not hiding. He told us who he was and where he lives. He did the unexpected and offers rescue from the penalty associated with the choice to sin. He's made it easy to discover him. He's made it easy to learn the benefits of being part of his family. He will give you more than you can ever give him, but he'll take what you give and make it new. Come to Jesus. He's been waiting for you. Joy FM, Family Friendly Radio. Thanks for listening to Total Health on Joy FM. We want to hear from you. Call in with your health-related questions at 472-1111 in Guam or in the Sinai. The number to call is 323-1113. 
text or WhatsApp us at 686-9999. And now, back to the show. Hi, thank you for joining us here today uh, on Total Health Live. My name is Rose Trina, and I'm joined in the studio today by Bethany Helm. She's a physician assistant at the Guam SDA Clinic. Welcome, Bethany. Thank you, Rose Trina. Thank you for having us again. You know, before we went to break, we talked about four different categories of um, abuse that individuals can experience. And those were um, physical, sexual, mental, emotional. There's others, but those were just the the main ones that we talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, We're wanting to focus mainly on physical abuse today and how it affects the Pacific Islander population. There was a study that was released in 2018, specifically having to do with specific islanders and domestic and sexual violence. And I'm just gonna share a couple of statistics before we bring on our guest today. And um, one of those statistics is, well, let me ask you a question. What percent of the US population do you think are Pacific Islanders? What percent of the US population? Mm -hmm. I don't know, a small, small percentage, I would say. Super small, like how small? <laughs> 3%? Even less. It's actually less than 1%. Oh, wow. And I read okay. in another location that it's actually 0.2%. <laughs> oh, that's tiny. <laughs> Super tiny. Yeah. However, Pacific Islanders have one of the highest rates of um, domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we'll talk more with our guest about why why that is. Um, another stat is 60 to 80% of women and girls in the Pacific Islands will experience physical and or sexual violence in their lifetimes. That's 60 really... to 80%. Yeah, that's a lot. That's an incredible amount. All right. And let's see. Part of the study also interviewed men because although violent domestic violence does affect men as well it's not just females it does affect men you know typically men are the abusers mm-hmm. and so of those studied i found this interesting of all of the surveyed men the pacific islanders 62% had been involved in perpetrating a sexual abuse act specifically rape 62% of those that's pretty studied, high. Yeah. Very high. And of those individuals, 64% of them were younger than the age of 20. At the time that they perpetrated abuse on their victim, mm-hmm. 64% of those were under the age of 20. That's So that's it starts really very young. young. Yeah. That's the point. The point is abuse starts very young. It can start very young. That's true. Interesting, right? Yes. (laughs) And, you know, I think this is a good time for us to to bring on our guest today. Her name is Karen Carpenter, and she is the manager of a local organization called Victim Advocates Reaching Out, or VERO for short. You'll Mm -hmm. hear people refer to that. Um, Her name is Karen Carpenter. She's the manager, and she's joining us today. And we specifically were excited about having her on because she can lend even more insight into Guam's role in this problem that affects all of the Pacific Islanders. So if, if we can bring Karen on, I think she's on the line with us today. Karen, you're on. 
Yes. Um, yeah, family violence, we call it family violence on Guam instead of domestic violence. That's what our law is. It's called family violence. So it's more than just your spouse. Uh, it can be any family member, anybody actually that's living in the home. Uh, so uh, our our law is pretty broad. But, yeah, family violence is, is definitely a problem on Guam. And, unfortunately, it doesn't seem to go away. What we do see as an encouraging point is that more uh, people are willing to report it. So we're getting more reports, and and that's good. You know, people are finally realizing that they don't have to be silent about this. They can report it. They can, you know, get help. What do you think has made the difference recently or o- over the past year or maybe when these um, reports have increased? What has been the driving factor, do you think, that has made people feel a little bit more comfortable with reporting? Um, well, it's it's actually been a slow process. Uh, I've been on Guam since the 70s, and so <laughs> we've worked a long, long time on this to get where we are now. Uh, so it hasn't just been the last year, but I, I think it's just been uh, all over more willing to talk about it, uh, more willing to, you know, on the media like this, to have it on the media. It's really letting people know this is not okay, uh, because... For a long time, I think, you know, they weren't sure if it was okay or not. You know, maybe sure. their parents were treated this way, and so they, you know, and now they're treated this way. And But we've, we're finally, I think, getting out the, the word that this is not okay. Now, you work with um, the organization Vero, and mm-hmm. can you talk with us more specifically about what is Vero's role in helping the victims of family violence? Okay, well, we we do a lot of things. Um, we do have a hotline, and that's one of our main things. It's four seven seven five 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 two, and so people can you know now six seven one four seven seven five 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 two. I always forget that, uh, but yeah, that it's a man twenty four seven. So people can call at any time of the day or night, and we will respond at any time of the day or night. Um, and then uh, we, the first thing we do is listen. And that may sound funny, but, but that's so important, mm-hmm. you know, because, because the person we're talking to knows their story. We don't. Yes. You know, the person we're talking to knows what's going on. We don't. And so we listen. We offer emotional support. Uh, we will offer advocacy uh, when we need to. If they've been trying to get, say, services at other organizations or agencies, and that's not working out very well for them. We can go with them, or we can, you know, call those agencies, see uh, see what we can do to be sure they get the services that they're supposed to. Uh, we have an emergency shelter. It's called an emergency shelter because it's short term, mm-hmm. but it is a place where we can uh, place victims uh, and their children uh, un- until we can assist them in finding a longer term placement. Okay. So uh, generally, it's 14 to 21 days. I mean, it's really very short. Mm-hmm. But during that time, then we work with them to find, you know, longer term placement. And while they're in the shelter, then we provide food, uh, emergency clothing, uh, you know, uh, personal care items, all that kind of thing. And then we assist them with uh, applying for this longer-term housing, whether it be at Gura or 
uh, Catholic Social Services or through Salvation Army or, you know, we have forms, we get them to them, they fill them out. We can, we do provide transportation so we can take them if they don't have their own transportation to, you know, get these forms filed so that they can uh, start start looking, you know, toward a more permanent uh, uh, solution. Uh, we do, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we also uh, refer them for protective orders and to uh, either Guam Legal Services or the public defender. But if they cannot help them because they're conflicted out, which means that they, they've already helped somebody else on the case and then mm-hmm. they can't, then we can help the person fill out what's called a pro se protective order so they can fill it out themselves and file it themselves in court. And uh, we've had many people get their protective orders that way when they couldn't get it with the lawyer. Uh, and then we also uh, do safety planning, okay. uh, and that's really important because when they leave the shelter, uh, they're more out in the community, and, and we want them to be safe. Yeah, I think uh, I, I want us to come back to that topic um, a little bit um, later in the broadcast, if that's okay with you, because I, I think it's really important to talk about a safety plan mm-hmm. and ha- having that in place. Now, right. I heard you. And then, then we do referrals because no one agency can mm-hmm. do everything. Sure. And, and can, so, can you mention those other agencies? So we refer for the legal help if they can. We refer for longer term housing. We refer for uh, to the AG's office if the case is going to court. The AG's office can help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, even GPD DART. DART is the domestic assault response team. Okay. Uh, they can help in the uh, client in knowing like where their case is if they've reported it to the police they do not have to report to the police in order to have our services okay that's excellent to to know to understand that i'm gonna repeat the hotline number a few times during Mm -hmm. this broadcast so people will uh, have plenty of access to that the hotline for victim advocates reaching out their number is 671 and remember you have to put the first three digits in front of the number yeah (laughs) Yeah. 671-477-5552 and that is a hotline that is manned 24 hours a day seven days a week am i correct that is correct. Okay. I wonder if you can share what the latest statistics are here on Guam specifically related to family violence. Well, actually, I can't, but I can give okay. you Darrow's statistics. Sure. <laughs> so um, we looked from April of last year, which was when COVID started, mm-hmm. and then went through March 31st of this year, so one year. And uh, during that time, we had... 307 primary victims. Primary victim is the main victim, but also, you know, we serve their children, we serve other people with them, but there were 307 primary victims. Um, We provided 1,925 meals to victims. Uh, We uh, sheltered 71 victims and family members, and you're right, it did include both males and females. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... uh, did 238 safety plans with people. Excellent. 238? And mm-hmm. did, did you say 238 in one year? Yes. Wow, that's a lot. Have you noticed if these numbers have gone up since the pandemic began? Um, it's interesting because in April of last year, our calls went down. 
And uh, we're pretty sure it's because the victims were with their abusers and they weren't able to call for help, (laughs) you know, because everybody was locked up at home. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, During April of last year, what was also interesting was we got more friends calling for other people. So again, I think the victim wasn't able to call, but a friend would call and say, you know, I know a friend and she's in this situation and, Mm. you know, what can I tell her to get her help or, you Mm -hmm. know, that kind of thing. So that was, that was April and the start of May. And then when things started opening up a little bit, then our numbers went up, you know, when they could finally get uh, either out of the house or when the abuser maybe was going back to work or the abuser was, you know, able to get out in the community a little more, then then the the calls went up. And we have, especially with shelter, uh, yeah, we've had more people this year uh, requesting shelter. Okay. I'm, I'm a little curious about the, the shelter because there's some shelters who um, are, they're kind of secretive shelters, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so um, the abuser is not able to, to find the, the individuals. Is that right. the way this shelter functions? Yes. Okay, perfect. Absolutely. So if someone was in need of shelter, they do not need to fear their perpetrator um, being able to locate them in the meanwhile. Uh, that's the idea. I mean, that's nothing is 100%. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, that's the idea. Excellent. That should be encouraging and reassuring to those mm-hmm. um, who are considering reaching out mm-hmm. for help. And um, can you give us a little bit of a glimpse as to what family violence actually looks like in an island culture? Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it looks like, like just what you've been talking about, you know, physical violence, emotional violence, uh, they're told things that aren't true. We had a uh, uh, an islander call us, and her uh, partner had told her that it wouldn't do her any good to call us because mm-hmm. we wouldn't be able to help her because she wasn't a U.S. citizen, which was totally not true. Mm-hmm. And so she had waited quite a while to call us, but finally got the courage to call us anyway, and we were able to tell her that not true. And, and you know, the people that help in the community, you do not have to be a U.S. citizen. So, you know... There's there's misinformation that that is given in order to control the victim. Uh, the uh, it's all about power and control. Mm-hmm. So uh, and uh, it's it, I don't know that it's that different. It is as you said more prevalent. I think for some reason, uh, and I don't know all of the cultures that well, but in in some of the cultures, I think it's uh, more male-dominated. Mm-hmm. And and as you said, the males are more likely to be the abuser, although not always. Okay. Uh, and so maybe there's more of a feeling that I have the right to control this person uh, than maybe in some other cultures. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, we need more studies on that. You know... You mentioned um, just now a case where one islander actually didn't call in because she was told that she wouldn't receive any help because she's a U.S. citizen. 
mm-hmm. uh, or she's not a U.S. citizen. Uh-huh. Correct. Um, what are some other cases, maybe recent, maybe not recent, um, that you're able to share without giving away any information, like identifying factors about people? Well, they run the gamut. Um, you also mentioned sexual assault, and I know that's really not the, the focus here, but but we do find, uh, as you said, uh, intimate. We call it intimate partner sexual assault. And so, uh, when when their partners, as you said, are are making them do sex acts that they don't want to, um, so we see that um, we've had women come in with six children. I think seven or eight maybe was the most we ever had, but, you know, so multiple children with them. Um, We have had men come in and men that have been physically abused uh, both by women and other men, uh, family members. Um, We've had, uh, you know, with physical abuse, pretty much you name it, you know, bruises, scratches, Broken arms, uh, um, you know, yeah, just just pretty much anything and everything. Yeah, I think it's you know, I I think it's really important also that you mentioned that there are men coming in because, um, you know, I don't know if men are gonna be as likely as women to speak up when something's wrong. Or uh, when they are being not. Abused. We know they the men probably are the biggest underreported group mm-hmm. because you know they, uh, yeah, they feel like number one they feel like who's going to believe that a woman beat me up? Mm-hmm. I mean that's part of it, uh, and then it's sort of their pride too. You know, I don't want to I don't want to say that my wife beat me up or my girlfriend beat me up. Uh, uh, so a lot of them do not report, but again. The numbers reporting are going up, and that's just a lot, a lot of community effort, uh, letting people know, again, that it's okay to report. When men report abuse, do you find that it is typically physical abuse, or are they being abused in one of the other categories um, primarily? Um it can be another category, and one thing you didn't talk about, but that we see too, is financial abuse. Yes, and so they, uh, and we have seen that with some men where the uh, girlfriend or wife or something just literally let them have no money, and they mm-hmm. don't have any. Uh, you know, they have to turn over their paycheck, mm-hmm. and they just—I mean, it, that wasn't the only kind of abuse. That there was also physical abuse, but that was one of the kinds of abuse in one case that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, actually more than one case. Um, so, yeah, it's, and, and that's the thing. It's it's generally not just one kind of abuse. And I want to talk just a minute about isolation because that is a big one. Yes. Because when they want to control the other person, the, usually one of the first things they try to do is to isolate them. Mm-hmm. So they don't want them to go out with their friends or their family. Uh, they they want to tell them, you know, what what they can and can't wear and who they can and can't talk to and all that kind of thing. And and they do it again for control, but also so that those other people won't have influence on them. And so we get a lot of victims. And, you know, one of our first things we say is, you know, is there any safe friends or family that you might be able to stay with? And you'd be surprised how many times they say, you know, I really haven't had contact 
with my family for quite a while. Yeah. And it's because they've been so isolated. I think that's a really good point, and thank you for bringing that up. I was reading over some of the studies about how abuse can cause behavior changes, and that topic is is very crucial, understanding that oftentimes the victims are so severely isolated that um, you might not notice anything until it's a little bit you know late. But some behavior changes that we might pick up on are um, – your friend might become more reserved and distant yeah. than what mm-hmm. they used to be. Um, they might start cutting off con- contacts with friends or family who they used to maintain contact with on a regular basis. They might start cutting that off. And it might not actually be them cutting it off, but it could be the abuser withholding uh, a phone mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to be able to Oh, yeah. To oh, reach that's out. common. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, you might find that your your friend or family member, they start canceling appointments or meetups with you last minute with no explanation. Um, you might even find Or they, if they do go in, and we see this in clinics sometimes, they go into a clinic, but the abuser goes with them, and the abuser literally won't let them talk. The abuser talks for them. Yes. You know, anything like that. You know, they're... They insist on going into the examining room with them. They insist on, you know, being with them. And, and we've, we've had cases where when the clinic said, no, this isn't going to happen, they walked out with the victim. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were not going to let that happen. Yes. And I, I think the majority of medical providers would say that they have definitely seen that yes. in their practices. Yep. as well. You know, you also touched on the subject of financial abuse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I actually see a lot of that. And I've had individuals um, approach me with those concerns, you know, with being controlled. And, you know, you're right when you say the abuse is often, it, it's all about the control. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Being able to control that individual. And an easy way to do that is with the finances. And so a lot of individuals... If you don't have any money, it's kind of hard to leave. Or you you think so. You know, if you Mm -hmm. don't know about their shelters, you think, well, how can I support these kids? You know, I don't have any money. I don't have a job. You know... uh, Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's an easy way Mm -hmm. to control them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a few few ways that might um, appear is... Rose Trina, you might be going to work mm-hmm. <laughs> every day and earning a paycheck, but you'll never see a penny Anything, yeah. yes. of it. Your maybe your debit card you don't even have possession of, but your perpetrator might, and that might be an uncle, it might be a father, it might be a spouse, mm-hmm. um, it might be an older brother. <laughs> In our culture here, um, any any of those roles. Um, they can gain control over you in that way, but you'll be bringing home a paycheck, but you won't have access to any of your money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, we, sorry to interject, but just to, to steer the conversation just a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, we do have a hotline here. So we have a number here for Guam that's 671-477-5552, but Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> but I was wondering if you have um, if you have any contacts for the CNMI, because we also have listeners in the CNMI. Um, we have had some contact, but we don't have a lot of contact with them. 
Okay. Uh, we have gotten victims that came here to escape mm-hmm. abuse on, in the CNMI, uh, and and we have assisted with shelter for those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that's pretty much it. We haven't we haven't done a lot of uh, direct contact. I mean, the CNMI does have a women's shelter, just like we have Ali shelter. Um, okay. And so, uh, yeah, they have their own services pretty much set up. Okay, so for people listening in the CNMI, there is, like, these services are available to them. Right. Okay. Okay, yeah, that was that was my question. Um, thank you. Uh, going back to the topic of, you know, financial abuse, um, we were talking about how people can go to work, earn like all that money, and then they don't see it because it's going to be in the possession of somebody um, that's abusing them. So that's like the perpetrator, maybe a spouse, uh, an older brother, father, uncle, um, somebody. These are all people that you know. And um, does that essentially mean that most of your like most of the perpetrators of violence are people that that know their victims? Oh, yes. <laughs> the yes. majority. Wow. Statis- the statistics that I have come across, and Ms. Carpenter, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they demonstrate that perpetrators are most commonly known to their victims. It is more rare for an abuse to happen from someone that they are unfamiliar with. That is correct. Stranger abuse is is not usual. And I I think that's why um, abuse with children is very prevalent because Mm -hmm. they they groom that trust in the child. Right. Yeah. And it's usually from someone who they're around frequently. They know maybe even the family trusts, aunties, uncles, cousins, you know, whatever it might be. And they develop that trust. So then it becomes easy to say, oh, let's keep it just between you and me. Yeah. Yeah, Just just come to the store with me. You know, we'll Mm -hmm. go down to the beach. Let's go to, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, segueing into the conversation with kids, um, you know, sometimes kids don't know who to turn to if they are experiencing any kind of abuse. What would you say to, to minors out there? Um, how can they reach out for help? Uh, we always say, you know, tell a trusted adult. Uh, a lot of child abuse is, is reported to teachers, mm-hmm. you know, especially for elementary school kids. They, you know, they love their teachers. They trust them. They're... And so uh, we do see quite a few reports come in through through teachers. Uh, but, you know, we, we tell them, and again, there's that trust thing, but, you know, if, if you really feel like you can trust this person, then that's someone that you need to tell. Mm-hmm. And there are programs in the schools, or there were before COVID, uh, <laughs> that, that do uh, help children to know, again, that mm-hmm. it's okay to report if you've been abused and you know, who you can tell and that kind of thing. And, and what, what is abuse, that, that's always important. Uh, with, we've done programs in middle and high school and on sexual assault, and one of the big things is what is consent? Mm. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes they think there's consent when there has not been consent. And I think um, the definition of consent 
differs between a male and a female. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can. <laughs> but it doesn't by law. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> exactly. Now, sometimes you might hear a victim say that, oh, the abuse is my fault. It was my fault that I got hit. Oh, yeah. often. All right. Oftentimes. Yeah, is... because that's what they're told. That's sure. what the abuser tells them. You know, and sometimes they'll say, you know, oh, I'm sorry I slapped you. But, you know, if you hadn't talked back to me, you mm-hmm. know you're not supposed to talk back to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then they're told this over sometimes long periods of time. We see this a lot. And so then, then the the victim is they are convinced, and they'll say that, you know, I know it's not really my fault, but and then they'll tell you why it's their fault. Yeah, it's almost like a a conditioning that happens. Yep. Over time, they can't diff- they can't see how it's not their fault. Right. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't. So the victim one time, if I have to tell you a thousand times, it's not your fault. I will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she you know, there, laughed, you there's know? <laughs> an expression that's used. It says, um, "It it takes a, a thousand, you know, attaboys, compliments, you know, encouragements <laughs> to erase one yeah. one message of condemnation." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to talk just real quickly about other services in the community because yes, for a small community, we have got a lot of services. The biggest problem is that a lot of people don't know about them. Uh, and again, pre-COVID, we did tried to do a lot of outreach, like at malls and things like that. You know, we mm-hmm. handed out brochures. We've kind of been stifled in that in the last uh, year and a half. But um, we do have Alley Shelter, which is uh, a, a shelter for women and, and their um, children. And they actually are a little longer-term shelter than we are. But they're a congregate shelter, and so during COVID now, uh, people, the victims actually come to us and quarantine for 14 days before they go into alley. Oh, wow. oh interesting. Yeah, ours is not a congregate shelter. Uh, the people have their own space, own room, and they're not, you know, congregating. So, mm-hmm. um, and there's Erica's house, which can assist with visitation safely if. Uh, the, uh, you know, abuser and victim can't see each other to exchange kids, or it's, you know. Uh, Catholic Social Services has a whole number of housing programs, as does Salvation Army. Um, Guam Police Department, I mentioned the DART unit, the Domestic Assault Response Team. Uh, they uh, will also respond to victims. Uh, they're first responders, just like we are. And... Uh, they, uh, as I said, though, they're, they're more with the, the legal side of it. So they, they can find out, you know, where their, what their case is for the person. Uh, we do call them when, you know, we, uh, aren't getting responses from the police sometime or, or, or they've been unable to find the person, you know, and we're wondering what, what's going on. You know, they just, they have that information channel, which mm-hmm. is really important. Uh, and then, for housing, of course, Gura, uh, and and if it is if it is a, a family violence victim, and uh, whatever agency they're working with uh, writes a letter to Gura, uh, saying that they're a client of like we write letters saying they're a client of Arrow, so they know what that means. It will move them up the list. It doesn't get them to number one, but it does move them up some, so that maybe they won't have to wait as long. 
Uh, and then I mentioned Catholic Social Services, Salvation Army has programs. Uh, so, uh, and then the legal services, Guam Legal Services, Public Defender. So we have a lot of, we really do have, oh, Guma Mommy helps uh, those with disabilities. We, we have a lot of services in the community. And we refer to all of these people, and all of these people refer to us. And that's the nice thing about being in a small community, mm-hmm. is it's easy to know the players. You know, we we have faces with names. We you know we don't hesitate at all picking up the phone and calling or texting or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Miss Carpenter, for um, for calling in today and also for sharing all of your knowledge. Uh, you know, we really appreciate it. And, um, you know, for me personally, a lot of this stuff I was aware of, but I think hearing statistics and then hearing um, specific accounts might be a little bit staggering for someone who's not aware that this is already happening. Um, the good news is that there are programs like Vero, Gumamami, um, and all the other programs that you mentioned. So thank you so much. There are people now who have heard, and if they need the help, um, you know, at least they know that there are resources out there to help them. Yeah, and and please call. Like I said, you do not have to report to the police, and we have a lot that don't want to for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want the abuser to lose their job, or they don't want uh, him to go to jail. Or mm-hmm. Remember, they love these people. Yeah. You know, I mean, it started out as a love relationship. And so sometimes, you know, there's still some of that there, and they, they just... They just want to get away, but they don't really, you know, want to involve the law enforcement. And that's perfectly fine. I think that's, you know, a really important point that you bring up that um, this is a love relationship mm-hmm. that they have. At least it started that way. It started <laughs> that way. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And, you know, recognizing that there's still attachment there, even though it might be a negative attachment or even a toxic attachment, the abuser isn't always able to distinguish, you know, the difference. And it's a reta- an, an attachment regardless. And that, and, that and needs to be And if you have children, this is the children's mm-hmm. father, maybe, or the children's mother. Absolutely. You know, so there's that, you add that into the mix and it gets complicated. Yep. All right, we're taking our last break, and when we come back, um, I, I'm hoping you'll still be here to join us because I would really like for us to talk about the safety plan um, that you'd mentioned uh, er, early on. Um, before we go to break, the hotline for the victim advocates reaching out is 477-5552. That's a 24-7 hotline. Again, that number is 477-5552. And if you guys have any questions and you want to call in, um, feel free. Rostrina, what's the number here that they can call? Uh, if you're going to call here on Guam, call us at 671-472-1111. That's 671-472-1111. And if you're calling from the CNMI, call us at 323-1113. That's 323-1113. Or you can text or WhatsApp us at 671-686-9999. That's 671-686-9999. And if you're texting us or WhatsApping us from the CNMI, it's free. Word made fresh. Exodus Exodus 17.12. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up. 
The Israelites were in a fierce battle. God had given Moses the key to victory. The only requirement, obedience. Moses needed to stand on the hillside and keep his hands lifted in the air. If he did, the battle would be won. If he failed, so would his people. When Moses found it hard to do what God asked him to do, he called in his accountability group. Aaron and Hur helped Moses stay on track. When he found it hard to do it alone, two friends helping Moses obey God's command, lives were saved. And a battle won. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up. Who's helping you trust God enough to obey Him? Joy FM. Joy FM. With another word made fresh. Family Friendly Radio. JoyFMRadio.net. And we're back with more Total Health. Give us a call with your medical questions. Number to call in Guam is 472-1111. If you're in the seat of mind, the number to call is 323-1113. Or you can text or WhatsApp us at 686-9999. Now back to the program. Welcome back. I am Bethany Helm and with Ruth Trina here and we're talking about the, the topic of abuse. We have our special guest today, Miss Karen Carpenter, and she's joining us with the Victim Advocates Reaching Out organization here on Guam. Before the break, we talked about, um, let's discuss a safety plan. I know that with any of the, the victims, you always like to, to do safety plans with them um, to safeguard them in their their future steps after either coming out in a, of an abusive relationship or simply navigating it. So, Ms. Carpenter, can you give us a little bit more information about what is a safety plan and give us some examples of what that might look like? Um, I can talk to you about what it is. Um, what it might look like, they really need to call us because we don't advertise what that might look like because... It's a safety plan. Sure. <laughs> you know? Okay, so um, what's important is it, it depends on what stage in this abuse that the victim is. So if the victim is calling us and they're still with the abuser at, at the house and they're not planning on leaving right away, you know, they say this is going on, but they're not ready yet. And, oh, by the way, to all of our services are client-centered, so the client decides what they're going to do. So the client decides if they're ready to leave or not. I mean, they know the situation and they know what's safe and not. We don't. So so there's a safety plan that kind of talks about that. If you're going to be at home and the abuser is going to be there, there's a safety plan for that. There's a safety plan for if you're going to be out in the community, maybe you are going to go stay with a friend or a family member. Uh, safety for, for that to, you know, especially if you think he might be looking for you yeah. or she. Uh, there's a safety plan that we use for that. And then one that is really important is a safety plan for at work. Because even if you're in a shelter, if you have to go to work Mm -hmm. to keep your job, to get the money, so you and the kids can survive, that's the one place the abuser knows where you might be. Sure. And so that one is really important to talk to them about how how to be safe at work and what both them and their employer can do to... Uh, help maintain that, and so uh, so it, the safety plans are are um, geared to the situation of the of the client. They are not all the same. Um, there are some 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 parts of it that are, but but we really do try to make it specific to their situation. All right, very good. 
Now, I know on your website there were some items to consider in developing your own safety plan. Would this be appropriate to um, kind of gloss over a little bit? I know um, you didn't want to stop, talk specifically. I'd rather not. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> okay. That's not a, not a problem. But yeah. really, all they have to do is call us. Okay, you know, and let's give them that number again. And they say, you know, this is happening. Can you help me mm-hmm. with the safety plan? We will. All right, and that number again is 477-5552. That's uh-huh. the 24-7 hotline, and that's Correct. to victim advocates reaching out. And that hotline number again is 477-5552. That is right. We'd like to make that a household known name number. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm also looking online for our listeners in the CNMI, um, since we're talking about Vero, and this is very specific to Guam. Uh, If you're listening in the CNMI, I found a number online. Um, You can call 670-234-3878. That's 670-234-3878. It's not Vero, but it is supposed to do something similar so it is another shelter and i hope i'm really hoping that this is the right number are we taking another break or are we oh no that's uh we're wrapping wrapping up up. all right i want to leave everyone with a scripture verse if that's okay um oftentimes we wonder um how do we get ourselves out of a situation and i just want to say the number one thing anyone can do no matter where they're at is prayer Prayer is always an automatic hotline to guidance. And in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, um, the Lord gives us some words of encouragement. And he says, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. So when you are contemplating your situation and wondering what you should do, how you should navigate this situation, know that God is your faithful friend. He's always available to you and he will guide you. He promises that he will guide you in the way and you will hear his voice say, this is the way, walk in it. He will put people in your path for you to reach out to. And he has place organizations such as Vero um, in our communities so that we can feel free to, to reach out and um, take these, you know, possibly life-saving steps mm-hmm. <laughs> along the way. So know that um, those organizations are available. Your medical providers are always here to advocate for you. So feel free to reach out and know who your trusted friends are, who you can also reach out to, who can offer that support, that guidance to you in, in these times of need. Thank you, Bethany. And thank you, Ms. Carpenter, for coming on the show today and for um, thank you, you know, for having me. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on and for sharing your knowledge and uh, for reassuring us that, you know, there is help out there. There is. Be sure to check with your doctors before making any sudden life changes discussed today. Total Health is brought to you in partnership with Guam Seven-Day Adventist Clinic, where health is their mission. We look forward to seeing you next Wednesday. Thank you and Sejuus Masi for listening to Total Health right here on Joy FM.